verses 1 to 13. This is a difficult passage. I got more and more tickled as I studied this week. It seemed like every subsequent commentary and preacher that I ran across always started that same way. So I'm standing in a long line of faithful theologians saying, this is a difficult parable. It's difficult because Jesus, our Jesus, commends a dishonest manager. But that's supposed to shock you and it's supposed to surprise you because there's a heart reaction that Jesus wants to elicit in his audience. And so he uses a parable that really surprises you on the surface because he's trying to give us a moment of, of stopping dead in our tracks. This parable is a big lesser to greater argument. We've seen some of these in recent weeks. Last week, the passage we looked at in Luke chapter 12 said, if the ravens are cared for, if the lilies are cared for, how much more should you, a child of God, be cared for? A few weeks ago, studying prayer, um, Pastor Calvin preached the sermon about how even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's the kind of argument that's happening in this parable. I think what's tricky is we don't explicitly see that phrase, how much more. It's kind of implied. But what Jesus wants us to see through this parable is that people, human beings, naturally manipulate money in order to influence people and secure a financial future. His implication is how much more should children of God faithfully steward the resources that the Father has given us for the glory of God. One more little piece of context that I think will be helpful because currently we are kind of skipping around in this section of Luke to look at passages that are similar. We're in Luke chapter 16 this morning. Notice how Luke chapter 15 starts. In verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he tells them a parable. He tells them another parable. He tells them a third parable. Then we come to chapter 16, our chapter this morning. Notice how it starts in verse 1. He also said to the disciples. This message is for his disciples. It's for Christ followers. However, we're going to be in verses 1 to 13. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Some translations say they scoffed at him. That's some helpful context for us because Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but the Pharisees are in earshot. And it seems that Jesus wants us to know that it's possible for some people to even say that they care about the right things, but the way that they spend their money reveals their true heart. Jesus wants his disciples 
and us at Bull Street Baptist Church in 2021 to learn this, that people naturally act shrewdly to secure their own earthly financial future. How much more should God's children leverage everything for the kingdom? The Pharisees lived under the pretense of caring about spiritual things, but what they did with their money revealed where their heart was. My aim this morning is to motivate us to leverage everything we have, no matter how much or how little, for the kingdom of Christ, because that is how Jesus' disciples show that they belong to him. If you would, stand with me and let's read our passage from Luke chapter 16. Starting in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now the twist, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, this is your word, and we submit ourselves underneath it. I ask that it would be a light for our path, that it would expose the darkness in our hearts, and that we would leave today more fully devoted to Christ because of what we have to receive from your word. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Being that this genre is a parable and that it's a lesser to greater argument, my outline this morning um, is a little bit unusual, but what I've done is I've summarized the parable into one sentence. And I want to examine three components of that sentence, kind of the subject, verb, and direct object. Then I will have two uh, questions of application at the end. But to paraphrase or summarize this parable, I'm saying that a manager shrewdly manipulates money 
to influence people in order to secure his own financial future. So I want to look at the manager. I want to look at what he does, shrewdly manipulating money to influence people, and the why to secure his financial future. And I want to examine these parts so that we can compare and contrast and say how much more should we, children of God, shrewdly steward the resources that the Father has entrusted to us. And then the motivation is for the glory of God. So let's begin with the who. Let's look at the manager. We see that he is dishonest. We don't know exactly what he was doing. Perhaps he was just indulging in some of the master's goods. Uh, perhaps he was doing some kind of side hustle with him for, for his own benefit. But we don't need to know that. All we need to know is that word gets back to the manager and he's fired on the spot. This was a serious thing to do. I mean, it's serious anytime. It's immoral. But especially back then where there aren't the same safety nets in, places, uh, in place, your manager, you had to trust your manager. This manager is dishonest. He's a bad person, and he finds himself in a bad situation. In other words, he's human. It's the fallen condition. Bad people in bad situations. It's interesting, though, in the second half of verse 3, we hear what he says about himself. He says, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I've lost my job. I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. Obviously, this is subjective. These are his words. We don't know how strong he actually is or what his social status is. But I think there's a connection about what he thinks about himself and his actions that follow. He says that he is not able to dig. He has a perceived weakness about himself. As I studied this, took my mind back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve rebel against God. They eat the fruit that he commanded them not to eat. Their eyes are opened. They realize this person I'm with just disobeyed God. So now I'm vulnerable. And what do they do? They shrewdly sow some fig leaves together. How creative do you have to be to sow fig leaves together? This is intrinsic in our humanity. We, we feel vulnerable. We feel weak. We have a deep awareness of our frailty. We don't like that. We want security. Look what else the manager says about himself. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. So he's not only aware of what he thinks about himself, but he's aware of other people's perceptions of himself. This took my mind to another couple in the Bible in the New Testament in Acts 4, with Ananias and Sapphira. The church is coming alive. They're fully devoted to one another. Everyone is sharing everything with one another. And Ananias and Sapphira know that 
that that's what is going on, and they want to be perceived as being a part of that. But they also like the comfort and the pleasure that money brings. And so they sell part of their land and then come into church and say, here's everything. That story does not end well for them. But we, who are we? If that's the manager, who are we as children of God? We are so much more than managers. John 15, 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. We have been entrusted with so much more than money. We have been given the word of God. And as the body of Christ, we are his incarnate hands and feet in the world today. We are children of God. We are heirs. Romans 8, 12 to 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance that is coming our way. An inheritance is fundamentally different from a return on an investment. We're not just waiting to receive some capital gains one day. We have an inheritance. The Pharisees believed that they had an inheritance coming as well. But it was based on their ethnicity. And because of that, they, in practice, led a life of indulgence. I think Jesus would say to us what he says in verses 11 and 12. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? Being confident in your identity in Christ should not make you tighten your grip on your possessions, but it should loosen them. Let's look next at what the manager does in verses 4 to 7. He says, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And he does the same with the wheat. He's lost his job. He's desperate. And so he goes to these debtors that owe these goods to the master. Again, reading between the lines a little bit, we don't know if this is uh, just interest that the manager is saying, you know what, don't worry about that interest. Just pay back what you, what you need. We don't need to know the details in that sense. But what we can understand is that if you're a debtor and you owe someone 100 measures of wheat or 100 measures of oil, and all of a sudden the, ma the manager comes and says, no, 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 
not 150. Well, you're going to be friends with that manager. That sounds good. And the manager does this. He, he is shrewd. He shrewdly manipulates money in order to influence people. This shrewdness is seen in the speed in which he acts. It says he does this quickly, or he tells the people to sit down quickly. He doesn't have a lot of time, and he doesn't have any resources. He has lost his job, so he is using his master's resources to do this. But his actions reveal the laser focus that comes about when we're put into desperate situations. Because his number one priority is saving his own skin, as soon as an opportunity presents itself, he jumps at it. What does shrewd stewardship look like in the life of a disciple? We also should have a changed perspective, but how much more should a child of God not just be looking out to, to save our own skin. Our skin has already been saved. And now our Savior wants to use us to bring more people to know Him. What a privilege. Investing in Christ's kingdom is always missional. How has our perspective changed? How do you view people and things? Could we grow in our shrewdness? In our Christian shrewdness? What if when we looked at our possessions, we don't just see objects that bring comfort or pleasure, but we see tools that might be used, might be leveraged to bring people to know Jesus? And what if when we looked at people, we didn't just see soulless space fillers at best, or our competition, or people to be manipulated at worst? What if we saw people as worshipers, and we just realized that they are worshiping the wrong thing? They're worshiping created things. Money is just a created thing. Can we grow in our shrewdness to figure out how we could use creation to point creatures to their creator? Why did the manager do this? He did it to secure his financial future. I mentioned at the beginning that Every person is deeply aware of our fallen state. The book of Ecclesiastes is full of verses that, that speak to this. Death is coming. Time is ticking. And for many people, that leads to us wanting to just ignore that fact as much as we possibly can. We try to stave it off or eat, drink, and be merry while we can. I think in verse 9 is one of the most important words in this passage, though. 
It's in the second phrase. Do you see it? So that if it fails, is that what it says? So that when it fails, our earthly possessions are earthly. They are passing away. The manager is trying to secure a financial future for himself. He's trying to manipulate money to influence these debtors so that once he has lost his job and he's turned in the books, he will have a place to go. How much more should we who have a secure future behave differently out of wanting to glorify our God. It's our privilege. Our future is secure and eternal. There is no terminal risk that we face. We were gifted a few decades at most and some stuff to see how much we could use those temporary things to make an impact in eternity. This passage should be a little bit of a wake-up call for us. It's not literally an investment scheme when we say that we invest in the kingdom. Just tithe more so that you can go to heaven. This passage is very much a faith without works is dead kind of passage. If what we say in our theology is true, if we are who we believe we are, and we have a resurrection hope the way we say that we do, that should lead to different behavior while we are alive on earth. And that different behavior must include our behavior with our money. So let's turn and examine ourselves. I have two questions for application. First, am I leveraging everything? Two weeks ago in our first sermon on this series, Pastor Calvin, I think, was helpful to differentiate between monetary goods and time, talents. Often we can lump all those things together in parables like this. But what Jesus is teaching about is money. It's not just our time and it's not just our talents. It is our money. I want to zoom on on that though this morning and expand it a little bit to not just be cash. It's money and what we spend our money on. In that sermon, Pastor Calvin quoted... Uh, Crown Financial Ministries that says every spending decision is a spiritual decision. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? Are we leveraging everything that we have. 
not just the money that is in our bank, but what we have already spent our money on. Do our dishes exist to the glory of God? Does the gas in our car exist to the glory of God? Do the shoes on our feet exist to the glory of God? Leverage everything. This gives us room, I think, for Christian freedom. We're not given detailed instructions in Scripture in every possible way in how we should spend our money. And there is wisdom for different people in different stages of life to use money in different ways. But am I leveraging everything? Or am I just kind of going through the stages of life onto the next thing, buying a house, where my kids go to school? We can look at all of these decisions in light of eternity. And we should be looking at these decisions in light of eternity and leveraging everything we have for God's glory. I think this is the heart that Paul is writing with in in 1 Corinthians 7, when he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. There's wisdom in trying to get to healthier financial statuses because that will afford you the ability to leverage more things for the kingdom. Paul goes on, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become a bondservant of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain. The second question for reflection is very similar to the first, but just kind of phrasing it in a different way. Is there anything else I could be leveraging for Christ's kingdom? Again, we don't, it's so easy for us to look around and be aware of other people's perception of us. And it's, it's almost just built into us that we know if we're a college student or if we're just out of college, a young professional, or if we're young and married, or if we're single, or if we have kids, or if we don't, or if we're retired, in all of these places of life, we have an awareness of the things that come with those seasons of life. What I'm saying to you, the body of Christ that is made up of all of those seasons of life, praise the Lord, is leverage what the Lord has given you. Do we treat the offering as God's stuff and all of our stuff as our stuff? It's easy for me to feel that way. So I'm sure I'm not alone. It's easy to write a check 
and to feel like I, I have given some of what I have to God. That feels good. It should feel good. But let's not differentiate between the money that we give that is necessary for uh, the spread of the gospel, for the, the life of the church, and what we go get in in the parking lot and what we drive home to. You cannot serve God and money. When we say serving money, we really mean serving ourselves. One person can be on the throne of our hearts, either ourselves or God. If you came here this morning with the heart of a Pharisee, I pray that the Lord has used this passage to soften your heart. You cannot serve God and money. I don't care what you say your priorities are. I don't care what other people perceive your priorities are. You and God know your heart. And if you need a better picture of your heart, look at how you spend your money. Look at how your heart feels toward money. If you came in this morning, a disciple of Jesus, trying your best to follow him faithfully, I pray that this passage has also been a warning. A warning that not only can our hearts be seduced by money and the appearance of security that it brings, but also our hearts always have the potential to grow into a Pharisee's heart. Do not say you believe one thing about God and your resurrection hope and spend your money in ways that betray the truth that you believe. Church, leverage everything for the kingdom. What we say and how we spend must match. May our theology and our bank statement be apparent in one another. Let's pray. Father, you own all things. And we one day must give an account of how we have used the things that you have entrusted to us. I ask that you would use this passage from the Gospel of Luke in this congregation this morning to soften our hearts towards our Master. May we do some serious self-reflection this afternoon, examining not just what our budget says, But, Lord, we, we have been given so many things. Father, may we leverage everything we have for the kingdom. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.